Chalk Talk with Vicky Baez and JC. Enjoy the show. And ladies and gentlemen, we're back once again. I'm JC going across about to sunny central Florida in the land of the mouse, the man, the myth, the legend. Ricky Baez is back on his own show, ladies and gentlemen. And this week we have some fantastic guests in house. With that being said, Ricky, how you doing, man? It's good to see you. Good to see your face. How you been? My sweat is sweating. That's how hot it is in central Florida right now. It's not it that bad. It is insane right now. Is it, it is that insane. bad? No, it is. It is. Look at my, well, nobody else can see my hair. Um, I'm having a horrible hair day, and I never thought ever that I would ever see something like that. But today it is happening. It is 185 degrees. You can't go outside without losing about 20 pounds of sweat. It is insane right now. And um, yeah, we'll decide later on what's going to happen to them. But uh, hey, Rick, there's the a, there's a lot going on in the world right now. I mean, top officials at West Valley Water District kept quiet about the human resource director's criminal charges. There's multiple reports in regards to tax fraud for that West Valley Water District uh, HR leader. There's an HR leader, a stepmother of Officer Rayshard Brooks. Uh, the shooting, uh, she was fired from her Atlanta-based company. There was a Supreme Court decision in regards to. Uh, uh, employee rights as well. There's a lot going mm-hmm. on. And I want everyone to know, well, every single one of these stories is a hot button issue. And you've probably heard a lot about them in the news. We're not going to beat you over the head with those today. We've got something much more important. Absolutely much more important. The AVA group, they are on board with us. They, We have been talking back and forth for the longest time. And I'm so excited that, 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 that we do have them on here. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and pass this over to Aaron Emery, who is one of the members of the AVA group. I got to make sure I say that right, because if I say it wrong, she'll beat me up. And that's not what I want to do. So, Aaron, I'm going to go ahead and bring you on board. You do have the rest of the board with you. So why don't you go ahead and tell us exactly what the AVA group is all about? Aaron Emery, she's been on board with us before. I have. Hi, Ricky. How are you? Uh, you know, sweating. Yeah. <laughs> Eh, you know, I, I know you're hot. 185 degrees in Florida. Good God. Oh, I thought that's, you meant that's that really hot. I'm hot. Okay. So, no, it's cool. So, look. No, uh, you, so- well, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, so, so the AVA group, um, we've, been, we've been together um, officially since about July of, of last year. But unofficially, um, we have been together probably for about, yeah, five or almost six years kind of working together, um, supporting, um, su- supporting the uh, transition um, assistance program here in Southern Maryland. Um, we specifically, our mission specifically focuses on, um, let me take a step back. We're a 501c nonprofit organization um, that provides assistance to veterans and their families um, specifically um, focusing on services that in conjunction with the transition assistance program over um, at the local base um, with c- career transitions that include job fairs, mock interviews, um, helping them, again, just with their um, employer assistance piece of it. So in terms of when they're, when they're transitioning out, being able to, to provide uh, the, the different services and helping them get networked with the different um, employers in the area and things like that. I think Ryan can probably speak and give the opportunity to Ryan to kind of talk to the, um, again, our mission and what we've been doing locally in the last, you know, last few years. Yeah, so Ricky and JC, Ryan Morning, um, the president and one of the co-founders of the AVA group. Let me first off by, uh, start by saying thank you guys for your service. I understand you guys are both Marine vets like Damon and I, so thank you guys so much for your service. Um, if you think back to when you got out 
for a lot of people, that's the first time they've ever had to interview for a position, right? We're told what to wear. We're told what to say. We're told when to eat. We're told what to eat. There's a lot of force feeding that happens when you're in the military, and it can be a little bit daunting whenever you're trying to navigate the waters and figure out what's next and what you want to be when you grow up. Um, Damon and I have both been retired since uh, 2014, and we're still trying to figure it out. But one of the things that we did was we recognized that we had some fantastic mentors as we navigated the transition, and we wanted to try to pay that forward and try to formalize something here in the local area and uh, make it a little bit easier for veterans um, because it's a win-win. Actually, it's a win-win-win if you think about it. If we can keep quality individuals in the local community, the local community wins. If we can employ these veterans at some of the contracting companies, then that's a win for you know the places where we work. And then if you can give employees and their families an easy transition and they're not stressed and they're not, you know, going crazy when they're trying to figure out what's next for them, that's a win for them. So we really think that uh, by finally being able to formalize this, we're really trying to help out. And what we've realized here is networking is, is so key. And um, we, we felt like we had a lot of momentum before COVID hit. And um, we really are appreciative of you guys for taking the time to uh, indulge us have us on so we can at least get some material out there and uh, make sure that people know that we're still, we're still fighting the fight. We're still trying to help people. The, you know, the government machine has not stopped, but it's hard to do some different things in this environment. So being able to at least put something out there for people to hear and have some content, I think is, is critical. So thank you guys. No, well, you know what? Thank you as well. I mean, it's, I only served four years. You guys stayed the full 20 and you retired. So uh, you out of all people know how hard it is to spend 20 years as one persona in one uh, specific outfit. And then all of a sudden, just like that, you have to change. So you're right. It's uh, JC and I were both stationed in Camp Lejeune. And let me tell you, the cute little four hours of separation class we got after four years of being in artillery and doing all these things and yelling and and all different kinds of different, uh, pretty much a different environment. It's the government does a okay job in my opinion and taking care of veterans in transition i just wish they would do more so that's why i'm really excited to talk to you guys because your mission is something that's near and dear to my heart because at the end of the day i, I know aaron explained it in a very um elaborate way so i'm just gonna it, just dumb it down for me you just help people transition from military life to civilian life and you want to make sure that transition is as easy as possible right i mean am i right or wrong on that that's right you're absolutely right i mean we just yeah, yeah. Okay. So I guess, I guess where I would like to start is I love to start as for the why, right? It's, I mean, hey, I, I, I got to jump in, Rick. Yeah. I got to jump, jump in. in. I can't start with the why. I want to know the how. Right. I want to know the how. I want to know how the three of you came to be together as a cohesive unit. How do the Isn't three the of you know each other? That? How do, why will come in a minute. <laughs> you hold your horses, Florida man. How how do the three of it? I know you said you've known each other for a bit of time, but what's that backstory? So, so I, I guess I'll start with that. So I've been so so the base down here in Southern Maryland, um, they've been doing this employer panel, and many bases do employer panels, right? In terms of in their transition classes, and I've sat on many of them up and down the East Coast. Um, 
And I sat at the one here at PAX for over 20 years um, and, and watched folks come through the transition classes that are here. Um, and the base used to support that. The government used to support that. And that, that stopped. Ryan, actually, I think, was in one of the classes when I was on the panel as an employer mm -hmm. speaking. Um, and, it's, and it was in a great, the, the, the panels that we've had in the past are, are great for employers to be able to use as recruiting tools, in addition to just being able to provide that service to, to folks transitioning. So um, Ryan came through as he was transitioning and then, um, you know, decided to give that service back. Um, and then Ryan and Damien, I think, started working together. But that's, um, and so we've, we have, I have a great relationship with the Fleet Family Support Center that's here locally. Um, and, and Angie that works over there is phenomenal. And the support that she, she's prior Navy as well, but she's amazing. And so being able to develop that relationship with her, um, gives us the opportunity to to go back in and, and do that. But that's how I got involved. I mean, I was a whopping, you know, 20-something-year-old right out of college thinking I knew, you know, how to write a resume and, and how to do all of this. And But I knew a few, you know, I had at least a year worth of more experience than somebody who has never done that before. So that gave me an opportunity to give back. And, that's that's um, so, so exciting, though, Erin. It really is, like you said, a 20-something-year-old. It's been five years to think you're only 25 in this mix, it's shocking to me I with know, that amazing. plethora of experience. I love it. I love it. I really do. Okay, Ricky, laughing? over to you then. Over to you. I'm sorry. So you guys want to add to that? So I guess I'll, I'll jump in there. So what I noticed when I went through the, the transition classes here, and, and as, as you said, Ricky, you know, the, the Department of Defense, Department of Labor, they do what they can, but there's no one-size-fits-all solution because every demographic, every market area, every every you know, location where you're looking to retire to or transition out of the military is different. So what I thought was most valuable here was the additional classes that Angela Armour, that's who um, Aaron just mentioned as, as Angie, uh, she had added. Um, so typically uh, they've gone from the four hours that you had mentioned before. It's now a week-long course. Uh, and oh. Angie actually added two extra days. Uh, and in those two extra days, one of, the, uh, one of the things they did was in the morning session of the last day, they would have an industry panel. And they would invite representatives of different size organizations to come in and talk to the transitioning veterans about, you know, resume writing and what to wear and how to negotiate and what to say uh, in an interview and what to wear in an interview. And, um, you know, it was great information that was being passed, but in addition to it, it was a fantastic way to network. And mm -hmm. I thought that was one of the most valuable um, portions of the transition that I had experienced. So whenever I landed a position here locally in Pax River, I, uh, I immediately reached back out to Angie and asked if there was room on the panel for the company that I was working for. And she said yes, fortunately. And that's when Aaron and I started working the panels then together. So that's why we said about five, almost six years. Um, we had the idea about two or three years ago to move it to the afternoon. Um, and what we did was we would do the panel on base, and then we'd go to uh, one of the local restaurants here, and we'd uh, rent the back room, and we'd have some you know, appetizers and some drinks and let people get a little liquid courage and ask the questions they really wanted to ask. Yeah. But it was all sponsored by local businesses as a way to give back to say thank you for your service. But it, again, win-win, right? So these organizations were getting first crack at these candidates. These candidates are now networking with potential employers, and uh, it started to evolve from there. And then, unfortunately, like things always do, the government had the bright idea of saying because that panel was not part of their metrics, it was not part of their um, curriculum, their curriculum that they would no longer support it on base. So then we started doing the panel Ooh. and the networking social events off base. 
And then that's when we decided we really needed to legitimize. We needed to actually form a nonprofit, let these companies that for the last several years have been just taking it out of hide and supporting us because they cared, get them some tax breaks, some tax write-offs, and get them what they needed on their side to help make this thing keep rolling. So that's where we did that. And when I came to work for my current company, that's where I met Damien. And um, I saw his passion for, for this type of work and what he was already doing. Uh, with some of the other veterans outreach programs that he had done when he was in California. So I'm going to turn it over to him and kind of let him explain his side of it. And um, I think that'll give you the, the whole triad then. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Ryan. Um, yeah, Ricky JC, how you guys doing? Um, thanks for doing this. Um, yeah, my motivation kind of comes from a, a touchy-feely side of things. When I retired um, out in San Diego, I decided to, what I wanted to do first was go back to school. And I wanted to get my degree in social work. So I, w- I was going to school to get a master's in social work with a focus on military social work. And one of the first uh, internships I had was with an organization that had a relationship with the school and the local bases. Uh, so when kind of similar to what was going on here, when the when people were going through their transition program, if they wanted to talk to someone about connecting with resources and things, they signed up for this. And us, uh, as students learning how to do some, like counseling or, um, you know, just some sort of, uh, you know, the ability to interact with, with people, we were on the other end of the phone. And what we would do is just use some of the skills we were learning to kind of tap into people and find out what it is they really needed. What did they want as you wade through, you know, this huge, like called like a sea of goodwill, right? There's a sea of goodwill out there for veterans as they're transitioning. And we tried to help them identify what their short-term goals were, what their long-term goals were. And it was so rewarding. It was so fulfilling to be a part of that. And then just through study, you know, you realize that it's within that first year of transition where we lose a lot of veterans. That first year is the most critical time for a transitioning veteran. Uh, If he doesn't land on his feet or if he or she doesn't land on their feet, if they're not connected to resources, whether it's uh, just social networking, and I just mean that in the, in the sense of, you know, having people to talk to, having friends, going out and doing things, uh, just some sort of connection uh, back to society. If they don't have uh, access to, to mental health, um, you know, resources or even education, uh, you're going to lose them. Right. And so that stuck with me. And, um, I worked with a couple of other organizations. I made my way out here to the East coast, uh, got here and, uh, met Ryan and Aaron. And, and as we all got to talking, you know, these, uh, you know, when you have this type of passion, uh, people just kind of coalesce and, um, you know, we found that we had very similar interests and, uh, we were able to, so they let me, you know, kind of join the group that was helping with the transitioning program here. And like Ryan said, you know, once we got out in town and we saw how much interest there really was in it, we said, let's, let's make this a nonprofit. Let's, let's do it for real and, and see what else we can accomplish. Uh, and that's, that's how it all kind of happened. That's how we ended up where we are now. You know, like, like, like any great group, I mean, nobody ever plans to actually put a great group together. You know, it's just one person has an idea and the passion kind of brings them together and that kind of keeps everything going. Now, both of you guys said, you said that you spent, that you retired from the Marine Corps and you retired in 2014, correct? So, so you've been retired. So you've been civilians for about six years or so. So how long from the time you retired until you said, this is a need, because I know you've seen it. I know you have experienced it. I just want to know what was that one instance, because you've been going back and forth to work over in San Diego. People have been going back and forth to work, trying to make ends meet, trying to find their way in this new world after spending 20 years in such a, such an outfit, right? So now you're out. 
something when you got home, something said we have to do this. So I that's what I want to focus on. What was that one thing that told each of you to say, no, this has to happen. We can't be passive about this. We got to put a group together. So I think for for me, um, I had the opportunity to go through the the tap class uh, in two different locations. So I did it at, at joint uh, joint based bowling um, up in D.C. And then the final one where I was a little closer to actually retiring was down here at Pax River. And I noticed what value there was in what Angie had started in that industry panel, in that networking, in that finding a mentor, in that having somebody who's been there and done it kind of help you navigate your way through. And I realized how invaluable that was. Uh, that, in addition to having uh, a Marine that had retired, in fact, we work with him right now uh, here at Straycon, uh, he got out a year prior to me. And, you know, he became one of, one of my mentors as well because he was navigating those waters and then telling me, hey, I wish I would have done it this way. And when you go to do it, you do it this way. And then that whole pay it forward and the next Marine that came out and then the next Marine that came out and then they're helping people. So it's that, you know, it's almost like that pyramid scheme uh, where, you know, we're, we're trying to let it flow down through and make sure that we uh, we're, we're passing the gouge. You, you remember hearing that before, right? You know, what's the gouge? Right. What's the this? So we're trying to help with that gouge and, and pass that along because we want to make it easier for the next person. Um, you know, and if that's how do you sequence VA appointments or how do you do this or how do you negotiate or did I leave something on the table? You know, there's nothing mm-hmm. that I think is more unsettling for a veteran than saying, you know, you have that uncomfortable talk about salary and you throw out a number and the person on the other end of the phone says, okay. And you're like, well, wait a minute, did I sell myself short? Do I not know? So we try to empower the veterans with the knowledge of what are those skill sets? You know, what are they worth in the, in the given market? so that they can go in and they can actually have meaningful negotiations. And so we try to talk to them about all the things they might not have considered, tax implications, registration of vehicles, mm. all the different things that happen. And that first year is crazy because, you know, all of the tax breaks you get while you're in the military, you know, it can really sneak up on you if you, if you don't have somebody helping you kind of figure that out and move forward. So for me, I think it was as soon as I started down the road of transitioning and knowing that I was getting out, I saw the need, you know, I saw that the government was doing what they could, but there was room to improve. And by working in conjunction with what they were providing, we could continue those services and really help people is what, where, what did it for me. Yeah. Have and I, I think, you know, approaching it. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I was just going to say, you know, you, you have a lot of guys, gals, a lot of team members, they get out and they're fried. Their mind is shot. <laughs> Honestly, you know, they're, they're, they're struggling with the thoughts of, ah, I should probably go back to school. I need the piece of paper. I, I sat down and I drove five tons and I did things that people out here in the civilian world couldn't <laughs> even wrap their head around doing. And I've got certifications in the government that make, make me qualified to do all this magical stuff. And out here, you got to start over. You got you to gotta wrap your head around this fact that you're starting over and you're stressing out. And you, you're not wearing your rank anymore. You're equal to Karen. And you're both yelling about <laughs> bagels in the grocery store. There's oh, no differential man. there. You know what I mean? So it's, it's so much. If I think back to, like, even my own grandfather, right? Okay? You got a guy, he talks about his time on the island, time on the island, time on the island. Yeah, he was talking about freaking Iwo Jima, you know? But to him, it was just time on the island, right? It's just stories, water under the bridge. But they had bonds and connections that grew forth further from their social groups, time goes by, 
internet takes over, these things don't have as much value as what they used to do. So you you had mentioned not too long ago the the social aspect, the mental aspect, the getting the person in the right frame of mind to to begin moving forward. Great. Okay, I sat through my class. I know what I have to do to get out. I already know what I'm doing anyway. You know what that guy or gal is going to do? They're going to go drink that away for the next six months, mm-hmm. and then they're going to think about taking that next step because they don't have anyone to guide them. So when, you, when you're coming across someone that's coming off that landing strip hot right now, right, what do you do? What do you do to, to bring them down and maybe help center them a little bit and, and provide that support to get them back into the shoot the right way? I, that's a that's a great question, um, JC. And, and I and to take it a little bit of a step further, they they're so lost because it's so hard to translate. You talk about you know driving driving the five ton or artillery, right? Like you know what you're loading and what you're shooting. How do you translate those skills into something that looks good on a resume that an employer is going to want to hire you for, right? And so when you sit down and you try to do that and it doesn't work, you you sink even lower. And you start to panic really, really bad, right? Oh, yeah. And so we do. We do come across people who um, who are who are spinning, spinning, right? And I think for me, the the one thing that I like to do with them is just let them know that th- this isn't unique, right? You're not the first person to make a transition out of the military and and be afraid about what's next, right? And you share your own story. You connect, right? Like. I can, you know, I retired. I spent 20 years in the Marines from the time I joined when I was 18. It's the only thing I knew for my entire adult life. It's all I knew, right? And so now I'm stepping out, and to your point earlier, and I'm starting all over again, and I don't know how to do it. And you share that experience with them, and I think it helps them to relate, and it helps them to understand that they can get through this, right? Um, Ryan talked about how, you know, people have done it you know, down the line, somebody showed him the way, somebody showed him the way, and then somebody showed him the way. And you just make sure they know, hey, we're not going to leave anyone on the battlefield, man. You know, we're going to help you through this. We're going to provide you with all the resources you need uh, to to make a successful transition. And then the rest is up to you and shine like you know you can. Uh, that's that's kind of the approach I take to it. It's just normalize it for them. Uh, they're not alone. They're not the first ones to go through this. And believe it or not, there's, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's stuff that's put in place now to to be a, a safety net for them and help them get through it if they choose to if they choose to use it. Is it is it harder yeah. though thinking that you know the 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 military time that you've served it, it's worth its weight in gold in certain documentations and paperworks and and honors and things that you're not going to get from a college, okay? But at the same time, there's no like military equivalency where you could sit down and say, "I have my DD two fourteen. I did four to eight years, and I did." XYZ, I checked these boxes, so it's equal to like the a bachelor's degree along the way. And and, and having larger pride and stock and value in that. There's there's no programs, there's no translationary programs like that. Or does that come down to some of the skills you help bring to the table through that greater understanding of self empowerment? Greater knowledge of knowing. Yeah, I would- I would say we, we do a lot of that. A lot of what we do is, is individualized. It's one-on-one. It's working with, uh, with the transitioning service member uh, on how to articulate the, the skills, the hard skills, the soft skills that they develop in the military, and how do you translate that into a resume that's going to be meaningful. 
because what we always talk about when we do our panels and we have our social events, we do things, we, you know, the resume, you know, is your ticket to admission, right? Once you're in the interview, it's all about the chemistry and how do you, how do you connect with the person? Uh, but if you can't articulate all of those skills and you can't meet the price of admission, if you will, um, you're not going to get invited to the interview. Yeah, so but you, 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 you really sure need like a quality HR person to to kind of cut through that, to beat the applicant tracking system, right? I mean, you don't have anyone <laughs> in that capacity, do you? No, That's why we rely so heavily on Aaron on a lot of those things. And that is a fantastic resource that we do have. Well, and I think, you know, me, but also, you know, when we have our panels um, and our events, we have, um, you know, we don't just have a, a panel of just HR folks or just recruiters. We have a blend of program managers, of HR folks, and we're trying to diversify the folk, the industries that are there. So it's not just a bunch of defense contractors. You know, we have, we have sponsors that are in the financial industry. You know, I also happen to be a realtor. So I have, you know, we have folks that are from the real estate industry and we're trying to diversify that because that's, that's exactly it. You know, they, they have skill sets that can, that can stretch across a variety of industries and give them different perspectives. Because as a, as a recruiter, an HR professional, um, I can certainly tell you, um, you know, hey, here's how to beat the applicant tracking system. Here's how to, mm-hmm. you know, outline your resume, make sure you have all the right words, review the job descriptions, um, you know, make sure you tailor it just right. Um, but the, the hiring managers and the program managers that are there can also say, okay, that's, that's great, but here's what I like to see in a resume. Mm-hmm. So you get different perspectives. And I think that's really important because I look at resumes very differently than uh, as a recruiter. Um, and certainly I'm your gatekeeper, right? From a, from a hiring perspective, I'm the gatekeeper. Um, but your hiring managers are going to look at it from a de- de- very different perspective. So, so I don't know if you guys realize how gold that is right there. Because Erin is saying something, it, it, she's hitting the nail right on the head. Because uh, a lot of people think that all you need to do is just get over the applicant tracking system, get over the applicant track, get me somebody from HR to help me with the resume, help me with this. But what people don't really think about is at the end of the day, you're right, the HR person is that gatekeeper. But, it, but that person who is making the decision on whether to hire you or not you really want to get that person's perspective because that might be different than what the HR or the recruiting manager says. Remember, the, it's for people who don't know, the recruiter's responsibility is to bring multiple options, multiple candidates to the hiring authority. Why would you not want to listen to what the hiring authority is looking for or says or what he or she, how he or she thinks? So this is crucial to have that there. So, it, so Aaron, from that perspective, um, what have you seen is the biggest challenge in transitioning veterans uh, or, or you, yeah, yeah, transitioning veterans into the civilian world, trying to get that foot in the door. So from an HR point of view, what do you see as the biggest challenge there? I mean, I, I really think in terms of their, their resumes, for instance, I think it's translating. It's getting them to understand that, you know, they don't have to give me a 20 page resume, right? Like you, they, it's getting them to understand that, um, you know, we can, we can develop a resume that's a little bit more, um, maybe it's a, a functional resume. Maybe it, you know, it, it's, it's a cross between a, a chronological and a functional. You, we can, we can hybrid things. We can, we can get a little crazy, if you will. I mean, heaven forbid we, you know, kind of mix different versions of a resume and, and, um, you know, 
speak the language. You know, we have to be able to translate. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a big transition for folks because they don't understand how do we you know how do we speak the language. Having and, and I'll give you a perfect example. I had a candidate this week, um, last week, who um, is is transitioning from being maybe more of a, a mechanical side of the house. Um, and he just got his degree and he's got all the clearances and he's going into more of a program analyst type of role. Um, very, very capable. Um, and, and so he says, well, am I going to be successful in that role? Um, you know, because I've only worked on the aircraft. How am I going to be able to, you know, be more of on the analytical side? Holy smokes. I mean, does he, you know, so, and hopefully he's not listening to, you know, he's not going to listen to this until, you know, I get him to hire. Aaron, but, Aaron um, trust me, no one listens right. to this. Okay. Just for your sake. I know. I know. Yeah. I'm only about My like mom 30 different countries, okay. right? <laughs> right, right. So, so, but, but how, like, but from my perspective, how excited am I am to have a candidate who haven't, I mean, he, he understands and knows how to fix the aircraft. Now he has a college degree. He has the clearance I need. Oh my gosh, you, you are the perfect candidate. So mm. for me to explain that to him, part of that, the biggest challenge is for me to explain to him that he is capable and give him that confidence that he is absolutely, and, and, and to, I don't know, to make him understand, I don't, it's hard for me to give somebody self-confidence, right? Mm-hmm. To, to give him the, the, to make him understand that he is more than capable because he doesn't see it just yet himself. Um, and so that I think is a big challenge because I can, you know, I can reach out to him and, and I, I said, okay, I ask a couple questions um, because I need to, you know, refine his resume to then mm-hmm. give it to the client or give it to the hiring manager. And, uh, you know, a good recruiter will absolutely, you know, we were beyond the interview stage at that point, but I will absolutely reach out and say, have you done this, this, and this? And, you know, think back. And, and if you don't understand what this means, let me tell you so that maybe you did it in a previous job. Maybe you did it a while ago and translate it so that I can absolutely say, yeah, you've done this. You just, it's just a different definition. And, and, oh yeah, I did do that, you know? And so then that way he understands that absolutely. I mean, I was like, you have no idea what like the perfect candidate you are. You just don't believe in yourself yet. Um, and you get two years of experience under your belt and the world is like at your fingertips. Um, yeah. and confidence, I think is probably the biggest challenge that I see. And not so much in just that, ex- that example, I see it in officers coming out. I see it in, I mean, it's not just because someone's transitioning from one skill set to another. It's just, they just don't know. It's, it's the fear of the unknown. It's the fear of, you know, my wife's at home going, are you going to get a job? You know, it's, it's, and it's, they just don't know. And I think fear and, and just that level of confidence is probably one of the biggest challenges, which is why I get so excited because when they come into the the employer panels that we have, they, JC, they, um, <laughs> when they come into the employer panels, when they come into the employer panels, you can see the, you can see the fear in them. But when they, when they leave, they are super excited about the ability to have networked with employers. You said spouse, you said spouse or wife, you said partner, you said someone that they're connected to. So you're also helping them along the way as well, or we're only talking about a service member? Mm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. We invite the spouses to our um, employer panel and networking event too. They are more than welcome to attend. All right. Yeah. All right. I got to ask some real dumb questions and just kind of like rapid fire with them. And you just tell me like yes or no. And if you want to expound, expound. Okay. So uh, we said yes to spouses, but like other dependents, children, stuff like that. You'd be willing to help the families? We have. Absolutely. We have. Yep. 
How much does it cost? We're talking 1995, right? There's like a tricky plus, scheme. There's a pyramid. Shipping, what are we talking? Shipping and handling. Yeah. You know, you know, absolutely free. We have corporate sponsors that support us 100% free for anyone that, it's, that comes. And now they those, can come as many times as they want. Yeah, we have groupies. Mm. We love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, this one's going to seem kind of obvious, but when you're talking about service members, you're specifically talking about those that served in the United States military. Yes. Ooh. I mean, that's that's what we've targeted. I don't know that we've ever not targeted anyone outside of that. I don't know that we've thought about that. But well, we've, I mean, I have a, a couple of neighbors that we've we've helped that were um, foreign service officers that were here that decided to stay in the states that we've also worked with. But I mean, you know, I think we just thought of ourselves as, uh, you know, a veteran service organization and we didn't really discriminate. Although there's American in our name, I think yeah. it's because we're here, we're trying to be patriotic, trying to tug on those heartstrings a little bit and uh, trying to get corporate sponsors so that we can keep things going for free. But uh, no, I think anybody who served, we'd love to help them and their families for sure. So you yeah. would you would even go to the depth of considering helping someone that Someone that was in the Coast Guard, you would do that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I would. Um, I have go. actually. I know. I know. Is that? Is that? Yeah. We do it. We would do it. Take one for the team, basically. We actually have a corporate sponsor called Vector CSP that does a lot of work with the Coast Guard out of Elizabeth City. That's and awesome. when they came up and they saw the industry panel, they said. What a, what a resource it could be for um, the veterans retiring down there or transitioning out. So we're actually talking about maybe doing a road show and, uh, and doing one of their uh, TAP events down there and, and trying to branch out a little bit more. Um, our focus has primarily been on Southern Maryland just because we're here. But, uh, you know, when you start thinking about what's the five, ten-year plan, we'd love to uh, have some folks that, that would take this out. In fact, the spouse of one of the people who just moved to Japan reached out about can he help – uh, set something up out there, and you, yeah, which is pretty cool. International spouses. Yeah, we're gonna franchise. Yeah, to me, the spouses ask the best questions, right? Because they're not, they're not scared. They will ask. They want to know what, what does this mean? What does this mean? How do I do this? They ask yep. the best questions. So we always encourage, uh, the, you know, the veterans to bring their spouses or significant others because um, they really get to the heart of the matter. Right. But yeah, they they're the ones that bring the list. It makes perfect sense because that because that person who just got out, they're like, I don't know what I'm going to do, blah, blah, blah. They're focusing on getting the job, whereas the spouse is like, we OK, we got bills. We got to figure this out. Let's strategize. So that that's it, it's I'm happy to hear that you branch out to the entire family, because at the end of the day, when 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 this veteran spent 20 years moving around, that spouse was there as well. They served as well. Right. Their kids served as well. So. So, yes. Yeah, so, so that makes perfect sense. I wanted to jump on something Erin said about five minutes ago. So she said officers. So I'm wondering you guys. So were you guys commissioned officers or enlisted? I was I was enlisted. Uh, Damien was. And Ryan, I was an officer. Officer. OK. So do you guys see a difference in separation classes from the enlisted side of the house to the commission officers side of the house? Do they get the same classes when they're about to go from the military to civilian life? Oh, that's a good question. Are they different? So not not in that regard. So there are um, retiree classes that are targeted at retiring mm-hmm. service members, regardless of rank. 
uh, and then there are separate T classes. Uh, and then that would be for, for someone like you guys who didn't do the full 20, but we're mm-hmm. still, I mean, it's still just as important to understand. You know, in fact, a lot of times um, that's the sweet spot, to be honest with you, because you get the retirees, whether they were an officer or enlisted, and you're talking probably a pretty pricey person when it comes to some of the different uh, skill sets that they're bringing to the table and the, uh, the ask on the salary. You get somebody that did four years, six years, something like that, they've got a phenomenal foundation, and they're going to be able to come in at a mid-level position, and they're going to be able to, to kick butt, and they're going to be able to rock it, and that's, that's great to be able to give some – kind of like what Aaron was talking about with that service member that just got the degree and is going to come in and be able to do that and kind of um, bring way more to the table than someone just coming out of college with a degree can bring. So uh, in that regard – um, yeah, th- that's where you see the difference. And then there's also a, a, a retirement class here that's offered. It's called the Rulin Seminar, and uh, that is put on. It's also free of charge, and you can coordinate through the base uh, education center, uh, and you can get slots into that as well. And it's interesting to find out. We always ask during the panels, has anybody gone there? And we find out if they're changing their curriculum, we kind of bounce that off what Department of Labor and Department of Defense are, are putting out there in the TAP panels to make sure we're staying current and we're we're kind of staying lockstep. We don't want to give misinformation or we don't want to conflict. We want to try to make sure that if there's anything that doesn't seem to jive, that we get to the root of the problem and make sure we're mm. uh, passing the most relevant and recent info to the, to the vets. And, and, um, and some of the, the dependent side as well. So I was a military <clears throat> dependent growing up. My, my dad was Navy. Um, and so the dependent side, um, there's a lot of resources that are offered to them too, in terms of education resources and grants and, Things like that as well. There's, you know, there's SkillBridge, um, and uh, which offers, um, you know, employers benefits and things like that too. And um, so there's a lot of resources for both the um, the folks getting out, but as well as their there's the dependents and the, the spouses to take advantage of too. Yeah. So it's obviously I know that if somebody spends four years in the service, it might now I'm just assuming it might be easier for that transition than somebody who spent 20, 25, 30 years. Right. Depending on what they did. So because, you know, the longer you are in a specific lifestyle, the harder it is to break away from that. So understanding that 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 part of it, have you guys thought about or are you doing are you. Are you getting involved with the veterans right when they leave? Or for those who spend that much more time in the service, do you try to get to them maybe six months before they get out or a year before they get out to, so they can start thinking about how that transition is going to look like? Or does that happen right when they get their, their DD-214? So we actually um, start with folks that they can start going through the tap, what, about two years? About two, about two years. years out, so before they get out. So we have folks that come through our um, that start coming through the our employer panel and networking events two years out until sometimes they're like, oh, I got next week, I'm I'm ready to go, you know. So <laughs> anywhere in that time. Frame. Um, so it just some of it depends on their path. It depends on when they're ready to go. But yeah, we have folks that are two you know two years two years out and and they'll come back a couple times um, or they'll just start that conversation. They'll start that networking event. Um, just to kind of build their LinkedIn profile or, you know, build, kind of just build build their network. But I think it's a, it's a great question you're asking. And uh, one of the things that we really like to encourage is the sooner that someone knows that they're going to transition, whether it's in a year or two years, whatever it might be, uh, the sooner we can link them up with mentors that are in their chosen career field. And the sooner we can get them um, linked up with people who can help them 
navigate some of the training opportunities they have while they're still in uniform. Because, you know, I look back and I did try to take advantage of as much training as I could before I retired. But I look back and I think I could have done so much more. And I, I really try to impress that upon everyone when we do these classes that uh, take advantage of those opportunities. Get any of that training you can because it's free and it's just going to make you more well-rounded and more you know, valuable on the outside world. So, so that's good to know because for all the veterans listening or families of veterans listening, when they have that family member who's thinking about that next chapter in their life, maybe they're thinking it's too early for them to have that conversation or it's too late to have that conversation. Uh, but I dig exactly what you're saying because, you know, it's, it's never too early to start networking, right? Um, and even if you have a year left. I mean, it's going to be kind of hard if you have a year left and next thing you know, you got to do a Westpac or a Med Cruise, right? And then you're gone for six months. You, Well, I mean, I guess you could do that now on a ship these days. I'm assuming you can have, have access to LinkedIn. But back then when JC and I were on the USS Nassau back in 98, 99, there was, yeah, there was no social media. Jeez, the only social Rick, media we had. Rick, Rick, are you going to start to pop out grid coordinates of places that we actually stood at certain points in time? You're killing me over I here mean, with the details. I was until you interrupted me. Oh, my gosh. Me. Yes, I You're was going to put everywhere we went. Yes. I had a blast in Barcelona. I want to tell you that right now. So, no, anyway, <laughs> um, I guess what <laughs> I did have a blast in Barcelona. Look at him. So, yeah. So, um, um, I guess what I'm saying is, is that it, it, it's when you trying to get into the head of a veteran when they're trying to uh, – uh, well, you said it earlier. It, it's, it's all about the fear. Right. Once you control the fear, once you calm them down on what that next step is, everything else is easy peasy. Because, Aaron, what you were saying earlier about talking to them about the resume, what, how they translate that, I highly doubt they're really going to grab or absorb what you're telling them, good information, if they're still worried, freaked out about what those next six months, eight months are going to look like. So I guess what, what, what I, w I would like to know and the audience to know is, what steps do you take to quell those fears? What kind of emotional intelligence steps are you taking to make sure that they fully understand what they're leaving and where they're going and how to make that transition emotionally? May I, though? May I, though? <laughs> Just real quick. I, they're, yeah. they're not stepping in, though, to provide like the type of support that you're getting directly from the VA, though, right? I mean, you're talking more about like helping with the job placement and the career track, or or is there more of focus in the other direction there? No, so, so that's a great that's a great point, JC. And you know, it all depends on what comes up in the conversation. So I'm gonna try to answer both of those questions. Uh, I'll answer JC's first because it's a little easier. Um, so we're not providing that type of service. However, if we recognize that type of service is needed, we make the connection for them. Right. So we're going to put them in touch with the local VA reps down here. We're going to put them in touch with, uh, you know, the counselors up at, uh, you know, up at the VA center or whether it's a vet center. These vet centers that are popping up these days are fantastic, uh, fantastic resources. So if there's a need there, we're not trying to, uh, you know, say that we have all the answers or that we wear all the hats. Right. There are professionals in place already who do a great job at what they do. And so we're going to connect them to those professionals if we see a need there. Um, but so to, to kind of get back to what Ricky was saying, you're right though. Um, we do have to break down some walls if we're going to have any type of efficacy with, with the group. Right. And the way we do that is by painting the picture, right? What does it look like? Right. So they're scared of what the next six months, let's say are going to look like for them. If, if, if we can paint the picture and tell them what that's going to look like, 
right? Here's what's going to happen, guys. You know, you're, you're going to do this. Then you're going to do this. And the interview looks like this. And how do you get dressed for the interview? You do this, right? We, we, we lay it all out and we break down all the myths, right? We tell stories. We say, hey, look, this happened. This happened. You're going to hear people tell you this. Here's the reality. Hey, here's, here's six people from industry. Do you guys even look at that stuff? Right. And, and they're going to give those answers. And so as long as uh, we can paint the picture, then I think um, I think that helps to break down those walls. And now they they kind of get an idea of what to expect. And now they want to know. And just like any, you know, any good service member, uh, they want to be prepared. Right. So now they're starting to think about, OK, he told me, you know, he told me I needed to have this. I needed to do that. And I can get prepared. Uh, for what's coming up. Does that, does that, does that make sense? No, it does. It does. And, 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 and that's what I really wanted to focus on because I want the audience to know what to expect, right? So once we call you what to expect, because it, these are, I mean, I know that's the question that would be in my mind if I was about to get out. It, it, it's, it's, here's what I'm afraid of. Here's what I think is going to happen. I've never had to worry about this before. So there has to be some kind of an emotional, psychological aspect to that. It's, it, it can't be just the resume. It can't be just the interviewing skills. So that has to be there because, again, the longer you've been in, the longer it will be to break that habit, right? Uh, it, it, so, 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 yes, it does make sense. So you pretty much you, – you recognize that need and you know where those resources are where them on their own would not be able to find it. So that's, that's, that's spot on. What about behavioral assessments? Granted, it's like a flavor of the month there, but it really comes in handy. Truly does. Is that something that uh, uh, you may help guide with when we're talking about that career transition aspect? I don't think that we've that we've kind of mined that area at all. Um, Again, kind of going back to you know we. I've got something for you. I've got something for you. Yeah. I want to network you together with a former guest that we had, and her name is Kristen Sherry, and she invented mm-hmm. this whole process called UMAP, yes. and it is absolutely amazing. It really is. Um, Spot on. For anyone listening along right now, that's UMAP, and uh, it's a behavioral assessment. It goes very fast, and uh, it's very good, very thorough, and it gives you something that you print out at the end of the day. Granted, people have to uh, assume the cost upon their own to take advantage of that opportunity. But at the end of the day, you're going to get something that helps you target directly into uh, a path if you're unsure. Uh, so I, after the show, would love to share that info with the team there and maybe try to get you all in touch that's if that's fantastic. okay. That would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. I appreciate that. A uh, question for you all now, too. When we're talking about those that are transitioning out of service and they have a security clearance, they may not understand the importance mm. of what they have in their pocket, of the value that they bring to the table as an individual in the workforce and where they could fit into the civilian environment. Let that be in a contract space or maybe even in a government position somewhere. And they don't understand what's what's at hand. Uh, do you run into a lot of people that maybe don't take advantage of that? So in our world, um, just because we work in the defense industry, um, I think that if folks have security clearances, they definitely take advantage of that. However, um, the you know there are folks that don't understand the security clearance um, process, so that or don't understand you know in terms of you know 
maybe the last time their clearance was adjudicated or the last time maybe when they had their investigations and the, the time frame or when they've used it, things like that. So from a clearance perspective, they do um, they do need to understand, you know, the, the time frame of their clearances. I think that's really important. Um, and uh, so that that does become an issue um, when folks don't understand the clearance process. Um, because I've actually, on the contrary, I've had more folks that don't understand that they've, um, that, that they think they have a clearance or they think they have a certain level of clearance, and they really don't, more so than the opposite. So um, mm. that's, uh, that, that's what I run into. Yeah, once I got out, because, uh, I mean, I had a secret, a top secret clearance, I forgot. Once I got out, I got downgraded to pinky swear clearance, uh, so I couldn't do much with that. <laughs> so nothing happened with that at all. No, actually, I don't know what it, it, it's. I never thought about my second clearance until this conversation right now. So does that expire as soon as you get out, right, or a little bit after that? Well, so your um, so your clearance is held um, for so whoever holds your clearance will will hold it for you know. They'll let it go once you leave, and then um, it's good for two years um, as long as your current investigation is still good. So if your if your current investigation is um, is good within that two year time frame, then you're good to go. If um, if your investigation is only still valid for six more months after you get out, that two years then becomes six months. So it just depends yeah. on the time frame. For that. So. Got it. So, I'm sorry. You only have two years um, to find a job where you can use your clearance. Otherwise, you do lose it. Ah, uh, okay. And if you do find that job, um, it is that job's responsibility who requires that clearance to re-up you for that and pay the expenses to make sure they continue that. Correct. All right. So, so um, that's not yeah. on the veteran on their own to do that. No, not at all. Nope. Got it. Okay. All right. So, awesome. re so recently, General Dynamics they awarded eight hundred sixty nine million dollars uh, modification to a U.S. Navy contract. They're in the process of realigning a lot of things. Big news right there. There's been changes at Lockheed Martin. There's new people in line over there as well. There's a lot of defense contractors stepping up to the plate with the new Space Force uh, contracts that are on the table and and production of things. There's a lot of activity out there for people to get involved with. And as of right now, with your networking, we're talking that there could be opportunities in any direction for a veteran if they reach out to you. You're more than willing to help them along in any path that they desire. Let those be anything that I've mentioned or anything that maybe I haven't, people that you're networked with that maybe we haven't even talked about yet, right? Absolutely. I We... um. I mean, if we have connections, we'll be happy to, to get them connected. And we always joke, um, you know, six degrees of separation, uh, you know, that whole, what is it, um, Kevin Bacon, um, you know, but six degrees of separation. And down here, you know, it's a half a degree um, just because everybody knows everybody. So, you know, that's the beauty of networking. Um, we can absolutely, if we know somebody that knows somebody, we'll, we'll connect um, and, and we'll, we'll definitely do our best. To, I just got a note over the weekend, you know, for somebody, hey, do you have, can you help me with this? And he was just, he's someone who's transitioning in the next, you know, year or so. And he was just elated that I responded within five minutes from a message he sent me on like Facebook, would, from our Facebook page. Would you say um, that the uh, majority yeah, so. of the positions that you assist with, though, are more 
white collar, more blue collar, uh, peppered a little bit of both, mm. more professionally driven, uh, more more skilled labor oriented. I would say it's it's a mixture of all of it. I mean, um, we've got you know here we've got contract air crew that that fly different missions here. You know, different mm-hmm. range missions. Uh, in fact, my neighbor is an F thirty five pilot, and he flew to uh, Yuma oh, today, wow. and he had a, a KC one thirty tanker that was being flown by contract pilots from KBR. And I happen to know the guys that were flying the crew. You know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's just like that here. Um, but I mean, I would say that we, uh, were equally adept at trying to translate the skills that people have garnered in the military, whether it's to, to become a, a government contractor or any other industry. Um, we helped, um, one of the gentlemen, Tyrell, right. Uh, become a, uh, customs and border protection agent, right. And he translated those skills he learned while flying in the Navy into being one of the, the agents for customs and border protection in Florida, actually. Um, so we've done that. We've helped guys get jobs at IBM. We've helped guys get uh, jobs at Google. Um, you know, once you know uh, the area in which they want to be, odds are some of the companies we have here wow. have representatives in those areas. And then we reach out to those reps in the areas, and then they know somebody who works for whatever corporation or in whatever industry it might be. And then you tailor out the resumes, like Aaron mentioned, and you kind of help out. Yep. So, yeah, it, I mean, it, I, had a, I had a junior person who was, you know, looking, he did a couple years in the army, you know, 20 something and wanted to get into mortgage industry. So he reached out to Mm -hmm. me and I was able to set him up with one of our sponsors, you know, doing, you know, doing mortgage stuff and get him connected to, you know, interview out there and in Raleigh or Charlotte of all places, you know, so we're able to, to connect kind of all over. So, so I have to ask, so you guys have been doing this for quite, so quite a bit of time right now. So what, what have you seen has been the biggest misconception from a veteran of what they expect going into the first year of civilian life? You know, I'll say this, and I can kind of speak from, um, from experience personally. I think that the, uh, the biggest issue I've seen with veterans is we're used to being the person that can say, let's do this or make it happen or sign on the line and you know you're the one that's in charge and making decisions a lot of times in the military. Um, when you come out and you're supporting from a, a contractor perspective, you're in a support role, and a lot of times you're making recommendations to someone, and they may go 180 on you, and you've got to learn to not wear it on your sleeve, and you, there may be more information you weren't privy to, and you've just got to be able to to swallow that. Uh, the mm-hmm. other part of it is, I think a lot of times from the military culture, we don't take no for an answer. We want to know the why behind it. Uh, and I've, I found that a lot of times here, you know, I've, I've got, well, we've always done it this way. Well, why you can't get the why, well, let's change the policy. And because you write the policy, why can't you change the policy? And I've seen that a lot of times. Uh, and that was, you know, um, going back to, uh, training, uh, my first company that I worked for, there was some training I wanted to send some individuals to, and it was right in line with what they were doing. It was going to make them better employees. It was going to make them more marketable. And the answer I first got was no. And then as we peeled back the layers of the onion, then it was, yeah, why weren't we doing this already? And, you know, sometimes it's just working through all of that to try to make sure that you can get people the right services and support that they need to be successful in the, you know, in the civilian workspace. That's awesome. It it really is. And it really is important for the audience to understand that piece as well. Now, it's you guys do a lot of good work in making sure that transition happens as smoothly as possible. As you know, sometimes it's sometimes that transition doesn't take very well, right? So after a year, some, sometimes that veteran is probably 
thinking to him or herself, like, this is not working. I can't do this. I'm going to go back and re-enlist. I'm going to go back and get recommissioned. Have you ever had that situation where somebody says, you know what? This is not working for me. Help me get back into the service. I'd say yes, definitely. Uh, I know I can tell you I felt that way. Um, you know, my <laughs> first job. I, yeah, and I think the statistic out there, I don't know it off the top of my head, but I think, you know, like 85% of transitioning veterans, they don't stay at the first job that, that they land uh, because they're still figuring it out. And I think that, you know, we do see that across the board. Um, you know, that, that initial transition is really hard. They make the transition out and they get a job, but then kind of what Ryan was alluding to, learning how to assimilate and how to conform even, um, or just some of the norms that you have to, you have to practice in the civilian world yeah. uh, is really difficult. It becomes demoralizing. Uh, it becomes depressing. Uh, there's all kinds of issues associated with it. And it's just, you know, again, making sure that you're staying connected talking to people. Hey, is this normal? Yeah. Cause here's what I'm feeling. Yeah. Right. And, and gotta stay connected. No, you, you spot on with that because you know, it, that's all it takes. It takes somebody, another voice, another point of view, another set of eyes to kind of take a look at your map and your GPS to see if you are, go if this exactly you said, if this is this normal. So that networking, it really is key. And I'm really harping on that, guys, because I'm really big on networking. A lot of people really don't give it the credit it deserves if it's done properly. Um, this is especially hard for people who are who are introverts, who don't like to network, who don't like to be out on the spotlight. So I'm assuming to somebody who's an introvert, it would be harder to have that conversation, but albeit still needs to happen. Right. So once you have those conversations, exactly how you said, once, yeah, I know JC's going on that. Okay. JC wants to talk now. I get it. <laughs> right. So once you start having those conversations, it really does get individualized. So, but at the end of the day, you guys got it. So it's good. Go ahead, JC. Yes. Thank He's you. Oh my God. Yeah. No, I'm trying to talk. No, it's, ahead, it's not dude. just about me talking. I'm trying to jump in and save the <laughs> listeners. My gosh. All You're killing me. Killing me here. <laughs> I got nothing here. All right. In these uncertain times, using terminology that's so cliche that we've been browbeat with, but I'm going to use it for this discussion. In these uncertain times, things are not the normal that we're used to exp experiencing prior to around St. Patrick's Day for some. Some are still locked down in their homes. Some people have lost their jobs. Some people are facing furloughs. Some people have already been furloughed. There's a lot going on out there. Just like you said in the beginning, things are a little bit different right now than what they used to be in regards to the nature of what you're doing. How, how effective can you continue to be as a not-for-profit assisting people find those placements in these uncertain times? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, and, you know, we had to navigate that as this whole thing started and we found, okay, how can we still be of service? Right. A lot of the things that um, made us successful were the, um, the events that were taking place around us and our ability to uh, facilitate and, and be a part of them. Well, now we're not anymore. So how do we become more effective um, or how do we stay relevant? And what we had to do was kind of look at, all right, so now what are the, what are the challenges facing 
veterans or you know the, the those who have successfully transitioned who are part of our network now what are they facing what are the challenges and you bring up uh, the point about people losing their jobs and things like that so we have to get smart on the unemployment system and what special programs are out there right now what special programs the VA has uh, because these people are are stressing and losing their minds over how they're going to make their mortgage payment and they don't have the, the safety and the comfort of sitting down and researching what resources might be available to them. So we have to get smart on that. And so we can start talking to the people who we see are falling or slipping and connect them to the resources they need. And I think that's how we stay relevant and how we stay effective as a, as a nonprofit. So you got a contact in Japan. What's next? How far out are you going to go now? You know, I think it's it's as far as anybody's willing to take it. You know, we, we said it a couple of times here about the whole paying it forward. So, you know, one of the things that we always ask when we have one of these networking events is, you know, if people are willing to, to donate their time and to help out and to pay it mm -hmm. forward and to become a mentor, you know, it could be anywhere. Uh, and it doesn't have to be formal through, you know, through us. I mean, we can help out with resources. We've been fortunate that we've had an, um, some, some fantastic corporate sponsors that have uh, provided us the means to, to um, you know, provide the assistance that we do. And uh, I think through that, we can, um, you know, we can kind of reach people anywhere. Um, and I think that that's, uh, that's great. You know, we can take it as far as, uh, as people want to take it, which is, which is great. And um, getting back to your, your last question about, uh, you know, what's next in the uncertain times, you know, I, I, I don't think I've seen anything slow down in the government contracting realm, at least from, you know, the places where, you know, Aaron Damien and I work on a day-to-day -day basis. That, you know, contracts are still being uh, won and competed by the government. There are still a lot of job opportunities out there and available. We're changing up maybe the way that we do interviews. We're doing Zoom uh, interviews. We are, um, you know, we're limiting the amount of people that go to a meet and greet, things like that. But it's still happening. And I think that that was one thing that uh, I was kind of surprised that uh, how easily corporate America has kind of transitioned to keep that, that rolling, but it, it, it makes sense. And I think for anybody who's out there thinking about what's next and, you know, I think just look at what you want to do uh, and you'll be surprised to think of what is available, especially if it's in the government contracting realm of, uh, of things. Well, you know, and I was surprised at how um, our industry, at least here at, at Pax River, has adapted to the teleworking environment, you know, prior to mm -hmm. COVID, um, our contractors, you know, the government would require you to sit right there on base. You know, you couldn't, could never, no one could telework. You know, it just was, it was unheard of um, down here. And now so many folks are like, oh, well, I'm just going to stay telework and I don't even have to go back. My client's like, I don't need to come back, um, which is amazing. Um, and that's actually kind of cool because they were running out of space anyway. But um, so the world is changing anyway. So if they can telework, that kind of opens up my candidate pool, right? So that actually allows me, I don't, I'm not restricted. And from a hiring perspective, maybe. There's a lot of things that have changed, but I think some of it is even for the better. Um, I have an opportunity now as a recruiter to kind of reach out to uh, to different areas, you know? So, um, and I was just asking Damien from a sponsorship perspective, you know, we have, um, we have 11 corporate sponsors um, that are, that are nice. currently sponsoring us. Um, since just since January is, which is when we actually started, um, truly doing the corporate sponsorship, um, and, you know, significant, you know, few thousand dollars each, um, you know, and in, into the thousands. Um, so 
Yeah, so we've we've done very well, um, and to be able to continue that moving forward, and and in all honesty, COVID's kind of saving us a little bit of money. So um, <laughs> to to be able to uh, you know to to do that, and we've had a lot of um, great response from the area down here. So it's awesome. Well, I thought I thought it was absolutely fantastic when you were talking about uh, earlier on finding placement for someone, and and that job was down in Florida of finding placement at Google. Finding placements yeah. at, at so many different organizations yeah. across the country. This is not just about uh, finding placement within your specific area. This this is much larger. Yeah. This is great. This is yeah. great. We try. <laughs> okay. All right. So you want to take it bigger? You want to take it, you know, just, just, just go big or go home? And you guys are definitely connecting those dots. And that's why I'm glad we had this conversation because I really – I really want the audience to know um, exactly what it is that you do and what that passion is and what drives that passion. Um, I have to ask Aaron, and, and, and this is an HR question more than anything else, and I'm really, really curious. It's a little bit off the beaten path question, but um, anybody ever ask you advice on whether they should go to an interview in full uniform or not? So, um, yeah. And um, <laughs> so typically what we... So typically what we tell folks um, is because sometimes it happens and it happens by, by chance. So, and, and, and we, what we advise folks is that if you have the opportunity to get home and get changed and put your suit on or whatever your interview attire is, because not everyone actually interviews in a suit these days, which shocks me, by the way, um, then we, we tell you, you know, go ahead and change, right? But sometimes you don't have time to change. Sometimes you get stuck um, at work in a meeting or whatever, and you can't do that. So, um, we just tell folks, you know, if you're stuck in your flight suit, if you're stuck in uniform and you don't have time to change, just make sure you call the recruiter and let them know, Hey, I didn't get a chance to change yeah. and I'm, and I'm headed over. And I actually had that a couple months ago. Um, he's like, I'm in my flight suit. I, I can come, but I don't have time to change. I'm like, come on over. We're good to go. I just, well, uh, just I mean, put a corduroy jacket on over top it. You're good. You're good. Right? No problem. <laughs> and some Ray-Bans. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I mean, I get it. I get it that if you just don't have any time to change. But I know some people do believe that that would give them a leg up. And I have talked to a lot of veterans uh, it, it, where they do believe that. Uh, well, they did believe that, that that would give them that leg up. And it was really I was surprised by how hard, how hard it was to talk them out of that idea. So can you explain to the audience, uh, I mean, it's, yes, you are proud of uh, of the uniform. You want people to see how proud you are. But why would that not be appropriate in a professional setting? Yeah, I would say um, I remember being told that you should wear your uniform if you ever got a speeding ticket when you went to court. And let me tell you, it didn't work. I tried it, and I still got the ticket. <laughs> you know? um, but, uh, but, I'm but not laughing as, at you, but I kind of am. Yeah, no, you're, you're still getting. They know you're getting paid. They know you're going to get paid. They're, they're going to get paid too. There's no turning back. <laughs> um, but you know, as far as wearing the uniform, I mean, I think that uh, the the thing that I would impress upon anybody transitioning out of the military is is be proud of what you've done. Use that as the foundation from which you're going to start the next chapter of your life. But at some point, you've got to um, understand that that it is a transition. And by leveraging all of the things that you, all the knowledge you have, uh, but portraying yourself in a corporate environment, I think is, is the most critical piece. When you walk into the, uh, the interview room, people want to imagine themselves 
sitting across a conference room table from you or talking to you in the, you know, in the break room or going and getting a beer after work. And they're not really going to be able to picture that if you're sitting there wearing your, your uniform. So I think it's one of those things that, uh, you know, as Aaron mentioned, you know, in extenuating circumstances, you know, mention it. Uh, we always talk about expectation management. Um, a good example just quickly was we had a gentleman that was flying in from Dubai for an interview. And when he came, uh, he got in the night prior. And I happened to know him uh, from when I, when I was in uniform. He was a contractor and we had worked together. And he flew in to interview with the company I was working with. And they lost his luggage. And so he's like, I can, I can try to go scrounge something up, but he was next morning, oh, wow. you know, zero, zero, 0800 interview. And uh, I'm like, well, what are you wearing? He's like an ACDC t-shirt and jeans. And I'm like, well, come on in, man. We'll manage expectations. We'll let everybody know. And, and sure enough, he got the job. He killed the interview wow. and he knew coming in that everyone knew. And you know, it just goes to show as long as you can be comfortable in your own skin. And that's the biggest thing is you want to portray the best you. And, you know, I feel like if you were to come to an interview wearing a uniform, it's like you're still trying to cling on to that, um, you know, that past life. And I think that it, it's important to kind of separate those two. And there's something wrong with that, right? It, it, it's there isn't. Be proud of it. Um, but, yeah, at some point, you got to have that transition. And and with that example, I don't know if I'm shocked that he got the job wearing an ACDC shirt or you flew him all the way for Dubai for a freaking interview. <laughs> wow, that's a heck of a flight. Well, in in uh, in the company's uh, defense, he had family in this area, so he was coming in anyway. It just happened that oh. uh, they, he lost everything that day, so it wasn't uh, wasn't all orchestrated on that company's dime. Fortunately, I was gonna say, I'm like, God, man, let him know that Zoom exists. <laughs> we can do that now. <laughs> but, you know what, but you know what though but you hit on a really good point because it is all about managing expectations if he was to show up right not having that conversation the first thing the first impression would have been oh here we go we have another person who doesn't really care doesn't really give a crap but if you are up front and you let them know look here's what's going on the right organization would give them that opportunity the wrong the wrong organization would have said, you know what, you should have prepared to Basso said. Well, that's not an organization you want to work for anyway, if that's how they're going to treat an associate or a candidate where they have these issues. So that's a really cool story, though. How long a flight is that anyway? I need to figure that out. Yeah, it's a couple minutes. It's just <laughs> a, it across the bay. Minutes. It's over the bay, you know? <laughs> it's right there. Oh. Hey. I heard, I heard he, he stopped in Barcelona just to hang out with, uh, with Ricky. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Look, guys, all I'm saying is, I'm glad there wasn't any smartphones back then. What are some of the uh, <laughs> what's the uh, what's the best way people could get in touch with you, if I may? Um, so we have our website, which is um, theavagroup.org, uh, and then you can also find us on Facebook under the AVA Group, and we're also uh, and then we're also on LinkedIn under the AVA Group. As well. Now, I'm not, I'm not so. calling this done by any stretch of the imagination, but we are at that time in the show where I would like to extend the offer to all three of you to stay with us through our current events segment, if you desire. Would you like to? Um, sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So what, what yeah, we're going to do right. is uh, we're going to take a look at a few news stories, and then we're going to go around the room for your candid feedback and a little bit of discussion on the topic. Ricky, are you ready for this? Ricky. Let's go. I'm, I'm ready to go. All right. I, you're talking off to the side to someone. You have little people in your room again. 
No, um, no, I got people looking at me, <laughs> giving me hand signs. So yeah, I'm good. I'm ah, good. gang, gang signs or something. Right. No, hand signs, not gang signs. Different consonant. Current events this week is brought to you in part by the dog formerly known as Pupcake, Ricky's best friend. Uh, stop on by. Give me a beer. Feel free to uh, pet that dog when you go to visit him. So your first story here, this is going to be coming from KIRO7 out of Denver. An injured veteran was denied service at a credit union because he was not wearing a mask something he physically is unable to do. Officials with the ENT Credit Union have apologized to retired Master Sergeant Israel Del Toro, KCNC reported. Del Toro tried walking into a branch, but because he was not wearing a mask, he was told to use the drive-thru. Del Toro is unable to wear a mask because he lost his ears in an explosion while serving in Afghanistan. A medical condition also makes it difficult for him to breathe. He is also unable to drive because he lost his fingers. I felt defeated, Del Toro said, because I can't believe this is really happening. Do people not have common sense anymore? This story comes to you from KIRO7. Ricky, over to you. The irony. A bank denying service because the person will not wear a mask. That makes yeah. absolutely no sense at all. Yeah, that that it one's really a little. Does it. That, that's a lot. It's a lot. It, right it's now. it is a lot, and it, it, it's that bank should be ashamed because um, ADA applies to customers as well. It really does not just employees. The Americans with Disabilities Act does apply for those entities as well. So that branch manager really messed up, and yes, they do owe that veteran. An apology because they should have had that conversation to figure out what other accommodations they should have provided for that veteran um, instead of being embarrassed the way they are right now. Uh, to the team over around the D.C. area, any any thoughts on this story right here? It's a heavy one, um, it really is. Yeah, I completely agree with Ricky. There's a uh, that's that's um, that's just absurd. I, I really think yeah. that you're, I mean, beyond disrespectful at that point. Um, and, and, oh, by the way, kind of illegal. <laughs> kind of? A little bit bigger than kind of. Yeah, you're yeah right. I mean, you know, kind of a lot, but yeah. <laughs> I got you. Yeah, it goes back, you know, it all comes back to communication, right? I mean, all they had to do was talk it out. They could have set him aside, like you said, made some reasonable accommodations to make sure he was taken care of. It's just a matter of communication. Could have yeah. brought the teller out to him or something. Yeah. You know, it, you know there's, yeah, there's plenty of ways to. Right, right. Yay for service. Making a guy walk through a drive-through. That's crazy, you know? Yeah, stupid. Yeah. Moving on across the uh, bow right here. Your next story is going to be coming from WashingtonExec.com. Uh, this is breaking news, actually, over the past uh, few oh. hours here. So in a plan, and I'm going to butcher some of the names. If anyone in the room knows how to pronounce this the proper way, please let me know. But in a planned leadership transition, James Tacklet or Tacelet? Tacklet or T A I C L E T. Tacklet. Rodriguez. Well, he's become the president and chief executive <laughs> officer of Lockheed Martin Corporation, succeeding huh? Marilyn Houston. 
Hazlett will continue to serve as a member of the corporation's board, which he joined in 2018. Houston's going to become the executive chairman of the board and provide ongoing support for leadership transition. As a former military pilot, I understand the mission of this great corporation to provide global security and innovative solutions for the brave men and women who protect our freedom. Tastelet said, I come into this role at a time when our nation and its allies have been tested globally by new and emerging threats, he continued. Now, more than ever, it's critical that we continue to deliver the best systems and equipment in the world. I'm honored to succeed Marilyn, who's rightfully one of the most respected CEOs in America, and to lead a workforce that's inventing and advancing the technology and security of our future. His career began as a U.S. Air Force officer and a pilot. His rotational assignments included the Joint Staff and Air Staff at the Pentagon, and he served in the Gulf War, among other missions. He was a pilot in one of the first transport aircrafts deploying U.S. forces into Saudi Arabia during Operation Desert shield but did he get service at a credit union that's the question <laughs> i i think he did yeah i, th- I think oh, he's okay. gotten All service right. at credit unions i'm good with the story then i'm good well of course you are he's taking the role i mean it's just informative <laughs> you know i mean this is pretty big what though. you want me to say about it <laughs> okay well fair enough and, and to our to our uh to our other team over here uh any any thoughts on that current event story i uh, just congratulations i guess Take credit. Tell uh, them that you I got on say, that job. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, well, yeah that, that was all brokered by the idiot. No, uh, no, but I would say this, though. I think it's, uh, it, it's important um, when you really think about the defense infrastructure in this country that the U.S. government does not actually build any of it. It is contracted out. So having someone with military service, having someone who's been there, done that, who can serve and can say that they've done that with their brothers and sisters in arms, is fantastic. So I wish them well. Go. I hope that that really that really pays dividends for them, and I hope they can pay it forward. So you know, one of those things where people say, "I couldn't have said it better myself." I really couldn't have. So good job. <laughs> that was awesome. Hey, uh, as you know, it is that time to uh, start wrapping things up with these current events right here. So may I? I love this. Florida Man Stories, in honor of Central Florida and where Ricky is, everybody. This story is coming from the ArgusLeader.com. Now, a Florida man has been charged with simple assault in a early Saturday morning incident in which Philadelphia Eagles tight end Dallas Godert was punched at an Aberdeen bar. Now, Kyle Douglas Hadala, 29, of Sarasota, Florida, is charged with the misdemeanor count and has been released on personal recognizance bond said Ernest Thompson, Chief Deputy State's Attorney for Brown County. The gentleman is uh, set to appear in court July 10th. He was in town for work, Thompson said. Now, the football player, he is a South Dakota native. He was a star athlete at Brighton-Hasea High School and the South Dakota State University. He was drafted by the Eagles in the second round in 2018, and he's entering his third year in the NFL. Now, there is a video of this that surfaced, and it shows the incident involving our beloved Philadelphia Eagles star right there. And in it, a man races into the frame, punches Godert, who then falls to the ground. This story did not happen in Florida, though. 
but it does involve a Florida man. <laughs> Dude, you <laughs> okay? Here, so does the story? Thank say you to Adam Schefter. Thank you to Adam Schefter for the uh, retweeting the video and putting that out on the twenty uh, first at around three hundred five p.m. Go ahead, Rick. Do do they say? I mean, not like it matters. Do they say why he attacked them? Look, it's not clear in the video what happened leading up to the incident. However, Godard appeared to have his arm outstretched, okay, distancing himself from someone else before being punched by yet another person. So it's not known exactly yet what happened, uh, but the Florida man flew in from out of frame, fist first, and knocked him over. So let me tell you exactly what's going to happen the rest of this week. So tomorrow, somebody's going to find out where he works, and by Friday, he'll be fired. That 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 seems to be the mantra in America for the past year. Oh, the cancel as culture soon as you aspect. See cancel culture, yeah. right? Yeah, I know. What Regardless you're of there. what happens, somebody's going to find out, and they're going to put it on social media, and next thing you know, boom, fired. Hey, uh, I'm just waiting for that to backfire. It, it is a Florida man story involving a Florida man outside of Florida, and with that being said. Or to our other team real quick. Any thoughts on our Florida man story of the week? <laughs> They're like, what the hell? I would say, as a, as a lifelong Philadelphia Eagles fan, uh, I was oh, not dude. happy. Yeah, so I was not happy to see that. And I'll just say, you know, uh, it was a sucker punch. Yeah. It was a sucker punch. It was weak. It was cowardly. Um, so that, that's... I was very disappointed. It came in via I, uh, telegram from Florida, you know? I mean, it's just all the way. <laughs> I heard Man, that we could have gotten this whole involved. interview without knowing that. <laughs> it's cool. You know what? I'm a Giants fan and a Bills fan. Either way, yeah, it's. I get it. I mean, I can't speak to Damien's taste about the Eagles, but I, I can say that I heard an unconfirmed rumor that the gentleman involved in that incident was just contacted by Conor McGregor for this next UFC fight. So <laughs> that could be one of the things to go down. And... Oh, that would have been awesome. No, I have no idea. I just made it up, <laughs> but it sounded pretty good. Oh, yeah, no, that's, I heard that too. It's a brand new rumor okay. that I heard today. Trust me, man, it's going around. There you go. It's going around. All right. I'm, I'm going to start so, punching people. So to do. that, our last Florida man story, I will not be playing the uh, jingle for this one. Uh, this is out of Miami. Jim Kick versatile running back who helped the Miami Dolphins achieve NFL's only perfect season in 1972. Passed away Saturday at the age of 73 oh. after a battle with Alzheimer's disease, um, according to his daughter, Allie. Uh, the former University of Wyoming star was part of the formidable backfield that included his best friend, Pro Football Hall of Fame fullback Larry Zonka. They are nicknames Butch and, and Sundance, right? Inspired by that 1969 movie, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. So, Kick, Butch, uh, he made the AFL All-Star team in his first two seasons and played on Miami's back-to-back Super Bowl championship teams in 72 and 73. He had two touchdowns for the 72 Dolphins in the AFC championship game, and he also scored a Super Bowl victory that capped their 17-0 and season under the Pro Football Hall of Fame coach Don Shula. Hey, Devin doesn't care. You're not talking about the Eagles. He doesn't care, man. Hey, I'm a Bills fan, but uh, big respect. <laughs> big respect going out to this gentleman and uh, uh, yes, and, absolutely. and honor to him absolutely. and his life. Jim Kick's father, George, played fullback, believe it or not, for the uh, 
Pittsburgh Steelers in 1940 and 1945. And uh, his his daughter, Allie Kick. Uh, look, Steelers fan right there. Excellent, excellent. And his daughter, Allie, Allie Kick, she wrote on Twitter uh, after he had passed that uh, he is the best dad she could mm-hmm. have ever asked for and will forever be a legend and her personal hero. So uh, condolences going out to the Kick family. And that is my last story for you of the day. Ricky, over to you. Um, you know, I want to take this time because I, 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 I want to just take a few minutes to kind of recognize Aaron. Seriously. So I've known Aaron for about, what, 10 years, Aaron, over San Diego? We did. Right. Yep. And I don't think I have ever met anybody. And I'm, I am 100% serious. I have never met anybody who hasn't really worn a uniform, but holy shit, does she really pull out all the stops for veterans? And let me tell you what I mean. A couple of years ago, she came on this show, on the veteran show, talking about how to recruit for veterans. Right? Then after that, uh, we had a conversation about Disrupting Char Orlando. And she flew down here on her own dime. To do a speaking event, five minutes, Pecha Kucha type of, of a talk. She had no control over it, talking about hiring veterans. And now she's in, and now she's involved in this group. So I got to say, Aaron, we salute you. I salute you because, holy crap, you have done so much for that community. And I really want you to continue that. I really want you to continue what you're doing because that right there speaks volumes about where your heart is where your patriotism is, and how you feel about veterans. So thank you very much for that, Aaron. I really do appreciate that. I just wanted to say that to you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Don't make me cry. (laughs) (laughs) No, I really do appreciate it. because Ricky, Ricky, she she said it very authoritative. It was like an order the way she said that. She's she's telling you not to. She's not asking. She's telling. No, no, I know. I know. It's just, it's just you know, to other people, there's a lot of fads that come and go. But with Erin, it has not been a fad. She has been on that freaking road all the time, all the time. And 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 and, and to me, that speaks volumes. So, yeah, I appreciate that. So. Well, thank you. I appreciate you. All right. So with that, going around the room, uh, over to the... AVA group for your final thoughts and and one more time again with those contact details as well. So final thoughts mm-hmm. and and best ways to contact you, please. Yeah, well, I'm just drying my tears right now, but um, I know. Thank you guys for for having us on. Um, really appreciate you taking the time to to showcase us. Um, again, you can find the AVA group um, our website, theavagroup.org. We're on Facebook um, and LinkedIn, um, and it's the AVA group. Um, and one of them is the AVA group incorporated, incorporate, like That's Inc. LinkedIn. Um, yeah, yeah the, on LinkedIn, it's the AVA group, um, Inc. just because there's another AVA group out there somewhere. So, um, and then Facebook, just the AVA group. So, um, you can find us out there, like us on there, help build our following, share our page, mm-hmm. um, feel free to share the information, um, just to kind of get that information out there so we can try to, to, to help more folks. Um, um, if you're a corporate corporation and you want to, you know, sponsor a thing, we'll take your money too. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, feel free to, to follow us. That'd be awesome. But thank you again, guys. 
I was just going to say that um, I appreciate Ricky saying that uh, about Erin because I agree. Erin is the heart and soul of what we do here. Um, her passion and her energy uh, for all of our, our projects and what she's contributed is just uh, it's immeasurable. So I, I appreciate you recognizing her, Ricky, because um, we definitely couldn't do this without her, without a doubt. And so, um, so thanks, Aaron. Thanks to Ryan uh, for being uh, the, the, <laughs> the character of our, of our organization. Um, and thank you to you guys uh, for all that you do out there and uh, for having us on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I just want to say thank you guys for your service. Thanks for having us on tonight. Thanks for getting the message that we're uh, trying to help veterans. I want to thank all the veterans and their families for their service and thank all of the, uh, the companies that have already started to support. And I just encourage all veterans uh, that do make that successful transition to, to pay it forward. So thank you guys. Thank you very much. And, and it, obviously, I will get all the information, all your contact information. I'm going to put it on the show notes. I'm going to put it on the website because I really do want to get this word out there. Um, um, I, I, obviously, I support that cause. You guys do as well. And I want to thank you for your service. So in closing, it's one of the things that I want to say is for any veteran out there listening who's about to get out, any veteran out there who, who is just afraid about that next step in the life, whether you're there four years, 20 years, 25, 30, it's, it's, you know, it's perfectly okay to be scared. It's perfectly okay to be, uh, to be worried. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's a network. There's people out there like the AVA group who are able to help you. So please reach out, reach out to, uh, to, to any, any of your local resources, but reach out to this organization right here to help you out, whether you're two years to get out or two weeks to get out, they would help you connect those dots. And guys, what I want to do, I want to extend this invite to you because I had a blast um, up until the Eagles part. It's okay, though. So I want to go ahead and invite you guys back, right? I want to invite you guys back, open invitation, whatever message you want to send out to our audience that we can help out. Just say the word and and we can definitely make that happen. I also want to bring you guys back this November for a veteran show because I think this right here has the makings of a heck of a veteran show this November. And depending what's happening post-COVID world, one of the things that I do almost every year is to fly up to Buffalo, catch the, uh, catch the uh, uh, Bills veteran game. So if that's happening this year, we'll probably be doing that show from the A1A Beachfront Studios North, JC. Is that what it's called <laughs> up there? <laughs> I can see Canada so, from my front porch. <laughs> yeah, no, I got you. I got everything. No, it's all good. All good. Mm. Ricky, best ways people can find us, please. So we are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Look up anything HR Talk Podcast. Email hrtalk at biasco.com. You can call us, text us, whatever you want to do. 407-501-8425. Please, if you really want to let us know how you feel about the show, go to your favorite platform where you download your your podcast and give us a like, give us a not like, do whatever, but just let us know how you feel and just let us know and uh, we'll keep charging on. My final thought of the day, now that I finally have the time and I can mute everyone if I want to. <laughs> My big uh, my big thought of the day is I think as soon as I'm done with the job I currently have, I might call this team to try to find my next yep. job. That's all I got to say. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of the ABA Group, Senior Executive Lucy, the face of the franchise, Susan, our intern, our behind-the-scenes producers that uh, are still in college, and we want to thank them for doing some of the research on current events. 
And uh, Ricky's dog, because I'm contractually obligated to thank that dog every time the show ends. It's my pleasure. I'm JC. Drive safe. Have a good night. I'm still sweating.